Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Once again, good morning, and thank you for being with us. If you would, if you've got your Bibles there handy with you or your phones, however you're, you're following along today, open back up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue in this series that uh, we've been, uh, the overall series has been about our identity. Today's particular lesson is entitled, Be Careful How You Walk. Be careful how you walk. And we're going to pick up from where Will stopped a little while ago and continue in Paul's thought here. But this particular passage that we're going to look at today at the end of Ephesians, or actually it's kind of in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, is one of my two favorite texts from this entire book. Because what has happened over the last several chapters is... Paul has given us a lot of don't live this way, but live this way. Don't go in this direction, but go in this direction. Don't live like the the pagans and the Gentiles, but live holy lives as Christians and followers of Jesus. Now, one of the dangers that we we have to be careful with, especially maybe if you're a, a Bible class teacher or as a preacher, is it's it's easy sometimes to set a standard, to set a bar and say, as a child of God, you are to live to this standard. You need to clear this bar and then just kind of leave it at that. Paul doesn't do that. And that's why I love this particular part of the book is because Paul has been going through for a couple of chapters now saying, this is the standard. This is the bar. This is where you need to be. And then he's going to come in here at the end of this kind of thought and say, And here is how you clear that bar. Here is how you accomplish this lifestyle that Christ has laid out for us to live. And I love that. I love the practicality of it. I love that it's not just, you need to live this way. You need to live this way. You need to live this way. He tells us, you need to live this way. And here's how you accomplish that. And that's such an encouraging thought to me because... It would be so easy to become discouraged. It'd become, it'd be so easy to just get down and think all these things that Paul has said or all the things that the preacher teaches or all the things that I hear in class, there's no way that I can live that way. Paul says, yeah, there is. There's a way for you to do that. There's a way for you to make this happen. And this is part of that process. So we're going to pick up and we're going to break down this particular section of scriptures piece by piece. And then at the end, we'll read it in its entirety. But so he gives all these things that we kind of shouldn't be doing, things that shouldn't be part of our life through chapters four, five. And then we get to verse 15. And the first thing that he says, the first thing we're going to talk about, he says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Or as some of your translations said in the ESV that will read from just a few moments ago, be very careful how you walk. That's that's our overall theme here. Now, when I think about that idea, when I think about that idea of be careful how you walk, something kind of gross comes to my mind. And I want you to follow me with that here for just a moment. Be careful then how you walk. What is he saying here? Well, when I hear that phrase, the thing that comes to my mind is dogs outside. You following me yet? 
dogs outside. For those of you that have dogs that run around outside, I know in our neighborhood we've got several that, that love to come and, and use our backyard as their local litter box, if you will. And the kids are running around outside, and I have to say, hey, wait, wait, stop, stop. Dogs use the bathroom right there. And as you're walking out, especially at night, you're, you're mindful of where you're walking. You're watching your step. You're being careful how you walk. You are paying attention to what's around you so that you don't get that gross, squishy feeling in between your toes. Now, I would challenge you and I would bet from now on the rest of your life, when you read this verse, be careful how you walk. I have put that image in your mind of dog mess. But I want that to stick because that's the first thing he says here. He says, as you're living this life, as you're trying to clear the bar, it starts with you paying attention, being very careful with how you walk. He's saying as you live your life, as you walk through your relationships, as you deal with people, as you're dealing in your marriage or maybe your engagement or whatever it might be, be careful. Be careful and pay attention. And why is that? Well, that's the next part of this verse. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as, or not as unwise, but as wise. Okay, let's stop right there. Not as wise, unwise, but as wise. Boy, I'm going to get this all mixed up right here. Here's what the idea is here. I want you to think about the word wise. All of us know people who we consider wise and have great wisdom, but the word wise here literally means with your eyes wide open. With your eyes wide open. So you can read it like this. Be very careful then how you walk with your eyes wide open. As you're going through your life, as you're dealing with these situations, Go with a, a magnified perspective that you're looking around and you're paying attention. You know what's going on around you. You're, you're tuned in to the environment in which you live. And he says, this is important. This is verse 16. This is the end of this thought. He says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So read that whole section with me. Be very careful then how you live or walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Think about that idea of making the most of every opportunity. Another way that we could say that is, and this goes back to a word that Tyler taught on just a couple of weeks ago, we need to be very intentional with our time. Be very intentional with our time. And he says this because of the things, he says, because of the things I've called you to, because of the things that Christ wants you to live, because God wants you to, wants to protect you and direct you, because he wants you to live your life in a certain way. He says, be careful how you live. Pay attention to how you walk. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Make the most of every opportunity. And here's why. Because of the days are evil. The days are evil. The Ephesus church is living in a culture that is just maybe one of the most immoral, maybe one of the most immoral cultures that ever existed. And that may be hard to believe considering our culture that we live in sometimes. Our culture can be pretty immoral. But this is 
a culture that considers adultery, okay, considers adultery a form of worship to their God. Now, in our culture, as crazy as it may be sometimes, as crazy as it may be sometimes, we still consider marriage a pretty powerful thing, a pretty important thing. And when you, when you cheat in that marriage, when you commit adultery, it is still very much frowned upon and looked on as a very negative thing. But in the culture that Paul's writing to, man, that's just another way to worship their God. And he says, you need to understand, you need to live this way, make the most of these opportunities, be wise in the way you live, watch where you're going, because you're living in a dangerous time. Now, even though we may not be that bad off, even though we may not be that bad off, I believe there's still a connection there for us. We still live in a time that is morally challenged, ethnically challenged, whatever you may think of in that different kind of train of thought. But he says you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Now, he's given us these list of things, these, these goals we need to set, this standard we need to live. And this is where he begins to really kind of give us how to live that. And he gives us a command here. Let's go to verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. Or understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I want to really key in in this the second half, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, this is a little tricky for me. This is a little tricky for me. This word understand is used... In kind of a strange way here, in my opinion. And, and, and let me give you an illustration that maybe gives you my train of thought. Think back to your time in school. Think back to your time in school. And recall the moments, and these were the scariest moments for me. I really struggled in these moments. When a math teacher called you up to the board and said, Matthew, I want you to do problem number three. Work it out on the board for us. And that scared me to death because my math skills are, are not great if you take the calculator out of my hands. I'm just, I'm not that great in that situation. And so, I, you know, I'd say I go up to the board and I start writing and I start fixing the board. And then I just turn around and look at the teacher and I go, you know what? I don't understand this. I don't know how to do this. I hadn't really grasped these concepts yet. And then imagine the teacher looking at you and just going, hey, understand. You don't understand now, but I'm telling you, just understand. It doesn't really work that way. That, that idea, that process of understanding is not something that you can just make happen in a moment. Not at all. And that's why I think it's kind of a challenging phrase here when he says, understand what the Lord's will is. But here's what I think he's trying to get across. He's, I think he's trying to say, I want you to face up to or I want you to accept or, or I want you to embrace what you know in your heart God's will is for your life. I want you to accept what you know God's plan is for you as it relates to your marriage, as it relates to dating, as it relates to friendships, as it relates to the way you spend your time. Now, maybe for many of us, this could be a two by four up to the side of our head because all of us, all of us have a tendency 
We all have a tendency to play real close to the edge of disaster in our life, don't we? We, we a lot of times we like something, we have this temptation, and so we we walk as close to the edge of that temptation where the line is no longer, you know, there's the line and it's temptation on this side and it's sin on this side. You know, temptation does not condemn us. We're all tempted, but we like to get as close to that sin line sometimes as we can without sinning. You see, that was something that was going on a lot in in, in the in the days of Jesus with the old law. One of my favorite uh, illustrations of that is the idea of divorce, that these people were so wrapped up in how close can I get to the, the sinfulness of divorce, but yet still be right with God and not sin, you know? And he comes in, he says, look, you got this all wrong. He goes, what God's brought together, you have no business getting in the middle of and messing up. And we do that sometimes. We like to get in the middle of it and, and, and do what we think is, is still right, but yet getting as close to that edge of sin as possible. And he says, you're dancing on the edge with chaos. That's not the way you need to live. You're living in a dangerous culture. You're living in a dangerous age. You've got to quit flirting with disaster and face up to what you know in your heart God wants you to do. Quit messing around is what he's saying. And then he gives an illustration of this. Then he gives an illustration of this. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's start with just the first part there. Do not get drunk on wine. As I grew up in church, I heard this verse so many times used as a blunt object to knock over people's head. Don't get drunk on wine or you're going to hell, okay? Which is not completely untrue. And Paul addresses this again in Galatians 5. But I don't want to use it as a blunt object this morning because there's so much more depth there than just if you drink, you go to hell. So, so let's read the entire statement again. Pull, the, pull that, that back up. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So don't get drunk on wine, which, which leads to debauchery. Now, that statement right there really clears up what Paul's saying, doesn't it? Let, let, me, let me ask you to do something for me. If you have been debauched this weekend... Give me a thumbs up in the comments. If you've been debauched this weekend, give me a thumbs up in the comments. And my guess is I'm not going to see any thumbs up for a couple of reasons. But the main reason is this. Most of us have no idea what the word debauchery even means. And that's one of the real encouraging things about Scripture, isn't it? You get this idea of I'm going to read, I'm going to be convicted by the Word of God, and then all of a sudden I'm going to run headfirst into a word that I just don't even understand. So we're going to get to, to, the, to the idea of debauchery here in just a minute. But I don't want you to miss this. I want you to hear exactly what Paul's teaching. Paul's about to say, Christians, I don't want you to get drunk. I want you to set a personal standard of behavior that you decide you're not going to get drunk. And the reason I don't want you to get drunk is because, first off, it's a sin. But here's the next step of this reasoning. Getting drunk is not wise. He's just said live as wise, not 
unwise. He says it's not wise. It's not being careful with your steps. Getting drunk is irresponsible. He says, I want you to decide not to get drunk because getting drunk leads to something that you don't need to be a part of. That's what he's teaching, that drunkenness is the first step that leads to debauchery, and debauchery leads to a whole different set of problems. So now, let me read to you the definition of debauchery. It is extreme indulgence that results in a loss of control. An extreme indulgence that results in a loss of control. Now, I've heard a lot of things in my life as a minister, a lot of funny things, a lot of crazy things, a lot of people trying to rationalize this sin with this exception. But I'm going to tell you something I've never heard. I've never heard anybody say, you know, man, our marriage was, was just awful. And it was just being torn apart at the seams. My relationship with my kids were... It, it was just spiraling down. They had no respect for me. Everything was just awful in my life. But then my family started drinking together, and everything just seemed to work out a lot better. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. And as you read Scripture, you discover that whether it's lust, alcohol, greed, anger, food, material possessions, anything in our lives that lead us to a loss of control, that baits us to draw us to the point to where we almost or in fact lose control, your heavenly Father is against that. And He says that's a problem. Now, He's going to contrast this statement. Let's, let's pull that verse up again. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, there's the contrast, be filled with what? Be filled with the Spirit. The point Paul is making in all of this is that God wants to be the preeminent influencer in your life. I want you to listen to that again. God wants to be the preeminent influencer in your life. And the best way that He can do that is by giving you His Spirit to dwell within you. Acts 2.38 teaches us that when we are baptized, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we receive the Spirit of God as a gift from God. And that's when the influencing starts. And one of the many benefits that comes from the Spirit is found in, in the very beginning of this book. And we talked about this back six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit gives us or is given to us as a seal. We are marked with the Holy Spirit. And that shows that God is our owner and that He is our protector. It's the idea of branding, of placing a mark. So everyone knows who we belong to, and that is God. The second idea is that of protection. Since we are marked as belonging to God, we can know that God will come to our aid, that He will answer our prayers and that He will give us strength and protect us. And then the, the next idea was that of a deposit which guarantees our inheritance. But like most areas of faith, God does all the work. Our role, our role was to simply make room for the Holy Spirit and allow Him and give Him permission to speak to us and to change us from the inside out. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has given us this seal, this deposit, our role is to cooperate. Now, most of us probably struggle with how that's supposed to affect our lives. 
I have this Holy Spirit. I have this seal. I have this protection. Paul says, it's got you covered. And I'm going to show you how you're supposed to respond, how you're supposed to live, how it's supposed to affect your personal relationships. So let's keep going. Let's look at verse 18 and 19 as we wrap up our, our, our text. Verses 18, 19, and 20. He says, Be filled with the Spirit. And here's the result of that. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. He says, if we're filled with the Spirit, then that being filled with the Spirit is going to affect our conversation with each other. To me, it's very interesting how he describes the way that we should have this conversation, how it should affect the way we speak. He say, he describes it in, in musical terms, and, and I love music, and I appreciate that description. Now, what I don't think he's saying is that we're to live this Christian musical every day. I don't think we're supposed to, you know, as, as these guys that have helped with our worship this morning, as they walk in, I'm not supposed to look at them and go, how are you this morning? You know, it's not some big grand musical. But I think, I think the words that he uses here is the key of how it's supposed to affect the way we communicate with each other. He says that we are to be full of hymns or a song that gives honor and praise and thanksgiving. He uses the word psalms or, or, or a simple praise. And spiritual songs or songs of the Spirit. Songs that are full of spiritual encouragement and meaning. In other words, our conversation should be just that. Of spiritual encouragement to one another. I think that's the point He's trying to make here. And that goes right along with what he says in Colossians 4 and verse 66. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Our words to each other should be filled with, with the fruits of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the next thing he says is it should affect the way we worship God. Verse 20 says, making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. The idea of making music to God is that your thoughts are full of praise for Him. And that comes from your innermost being, from the depths of your heart and soul. You know, I think of the times that I would walk out growing up in Savannah, growing up on the Tennessee River, living in Kingston the last few years, right on the river as well again. The times that I would walk along the river, or a lot of times in Pickwick I would go and I'd sit below the dam and just watch, just watch the water. And I would just think and marvel of the, the power of God. And so many times I would look up to the skies and just thank God. That's, that's what he's telling us here. Paul is telling us these things that should fill our hearts and lives. And he's encouraging relationships with Christian brothers and sisters and that our hearts should be full of thanksgiving when we approach God. As we end this time together, let's pull up that last passage. It's got this whole section in it. And let's read this whole section together in its entirety. He says, Be very careful then how you live 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with with him, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful passage. What a powerful way to give us some encouragement of how we can live a worthy life in the eyes of God. Let's close our sermon thoughts with a prayer this morning. God, thank you. Thank you so much for being the awesome, merciful God that you are. For being the God of grace, of forgiveness, of love. We just pray that we always realize the power that comes from our relationship with you, the ability because of your spirit to live this life that you've called us to. Give us courage, God, to live that life. Give us courage to stand up and to be holy, not just in your sight, but in the sight of the world around us. Forgive us when we fall. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we do at this time in every one of our services, we want to encourage you to take a moment to reflect on the things that we've studied, to think about the power of the Scriptures this morning. And if you need to respond to God, if you need to make things right, if you need to recommit your life, then you can do that personally on your own. You, you can make that conversation with God. You can have those, those recommitment conversations and prayers The Scripture also says that, hey, when you're struggling, when you're sinning, lean on a brother, call a brother, talk to a brother. And I want you to know that as as your brother in Christ, I am here. So are our leaders, our deacons, our elders, and just the members of this family. If you need a more personal assistance today, reach out to someone and let them know what you need. If you need to become a child of God and have your sins washed away, you see all of the things that we've talked about, these are things for Christians. Maybe where you are right now is not a Christian relationship. Maybe you've never had the Holy Spirit indwell with you because you've never been baptized. We want to change that. Feel free to reach out to us and let us assist you in that whenever you feel the need. But Thank you for joining us today. And I encourage you, dear, encourage you during this next song to just take a moment and reflect on your life and the relationship you have with God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m., with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30.
You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.